Welcome to the NFC West Division Preview Podcast. I'm Drew DeLuca, Editor-in-Chief of QB List. And with me today, Justin Herrera, who's been a staff writer for QB List for a number of years. And you know him from a few other places like Belly Up and other places. Justin, welcome to the show. And I know you're a 49ers fan. Are you ready to talk some NFC West football today? Oh, it's my favorite division to talk about. You know it, Drew. You know, and I'm happy to be here and happy to finally be on the podcast. It took me two years at QBL, but I'm finally on the podcast. Love it, man. And we're also very excited to welcome a very special guest to the show, an inaugural member of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association Hall of Fame and an expert on the Seattle Seahawks, the man, the myth, the legend, Scott the King Angle. Welcome, Scott. How are things going today? What's been keeping you busy this summer in between NFL seasons as we're getting ready to wrap up here? Drew, Justin, thanks for having me. Very busy time of year, obviously. Uh, you can check out all my work at Seahawks.com on the team's official site under the Fantasy Insider tab, also at TheGameDay.com. My ranks are on Rotoballers.com, and I'm on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio every weekend, so it's a busy time of year. I just I just finished my, my 18th draft last night, if you consider, if you include mocks and rookie drafts, etc., and I got, I got, I got a, a big one this Saturday too. So nice. Oh, well, we appreciate you yeah. carving out some time and being with us today. Definitely, draft season is in high gear now. I got a, a big two home league drafts this week. Both of them, one Saturday, one Sunday. Looking forward to those. So let's get right into our NFC West preview, which is basically a story of two tiers of two teams each, and we'll start with the undercards of the division to put it nicely. Beginning with one of the uh, odds-on favorites to land, Caleb Williams. In the 2024 NFL Draft, that would be the lowly, the lovable, the laughable Arizona Cardinals. Uh, not- notable additions, we have Calvin Beecham and Will Hernandez that hopefully will shore up the porous offensive line. But no real major additions made in terms of free agent skill position players on the offensive side of the ball. And in the draft, they did take Paris Johnson, the tackle from Ohio State, sixth overall. And hopefully he'll be a foundation of that offensive line for years to come. In the third round, they grabbed Michael Wilson from Stanford, the wide receiver. Some good positive buzz on him this in camp. And, of course, the quarterback from Houston, Clayton Toon, fifth-round pick, who for a second there looked like he might have a path before the Arizona Cardinals added Josh Gibbs today via trade from the Cleveland Browns. And from notable departure standpoint, no one really of importance offensively. Uh, we'll see, though, because it looks like the Cardinals are kind of uh, on the brink of a fire sale here today. They uh, traded Isaiah Simmons for a seventh-round pick, which is stunning to me. Uh, and then a few others are also on their way out. So coaching changes. Jonathan Gannon, former defensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles, takes over the head job in Arizona. Never really got on the plane back to Philly, which is probably a good thing for him after the way he called the game for that defense in Super Bowl 57. And if the Cardinals are looking to pick first in next year's draft, Eagles fans want to congratulate you on picking what, who might be the right man for that job. So new offensive coordinator Drew Petzing was previously the quarterback's coach of the Cleveland Browns. And with one year one of the, the Sean Watson era and Cleveland abject failure, his magnum opus really was just getting mediocre quarterback play from Jacoby Brissett, who uh, really already proved to be mediocre elsewhere. Uh, and then, of course, uh, there's really uh, not not a big change there on the defensive side because Gannon's probably going to be calling the shots defensively. So we're going to get right into the big question uh, with this Arizona Cardinals uh, team here. And we can't really take teams off our boards entirely. We just can't, as tempting as it might be. But there are some players maybe that could that are definitely of interest to us. So who's a value here in Arizona? And Scott, I'm going to throw some names out at you and tell me, uh, what, are you smashing or passing? Do you like these guys or are you passing on them, giving on where they're going 
according to Fantasy Pros ADP. So James Conner going in the neighborhood of 66, running back 27. Are you in or are you out on James Conner? Yeah, I'm out on James Conner, although at 27 I still might consider taking him. But a lot of people will bump him up the board a little bit higher than that with the reasoning that Conner played really well down the stretch last year uh, when they had quarterback issues. But until Kyler Murray comes back, this is going to be maybe the worst team in the NFL. Uh, he's going to get scripted out of out of uh, you know, running the ball. He, he's not going to get consistent goal line opportunities. Defenses are going to focus and key on him. I think you can't depend on fantasy running backs who are, oh, they'll play from behind. They'll, they'll throw the ball out of the backfield. You can't lean on that, especially when they're going to have three and outs. I just think the offense is going to be even worse this year until Kyler Murray comes back, and who knows when it is. So uh, Connor is somebody that I generally pass on in my drafts. If if he's still there when I'm like down to RB28, maybe I'll take a crack. But give me Alexander Madison, Rashad White. You know, I'm out on Connor because that's a bad offense. And Connor's are, are also a durability, durability risk on an annual basis. All right. And, so, and then uh, I'll throw a couple other names at you. Hollywood Brown, uh, ADP 76 at wide receiver 32. Rondale Moore, ADP 139, wide receiver 56. Zach Ertz, ADP 205 at tight end 26. And Trey McBride at ADP 225, basically free, like like Zach Ertz at tight end 30. Anybody there of interest to you? You're just passing on all four of these guys. Well, with Brown, you know, he's not an ideal NFL number one wide receiver. It was better for him when they had Hopkins there. But, you know, they couldn't get them together consistently on the field. So generally, I I tend to pass on him too. Uh, Rondell Moore, you can get in like the 15th round, so I will take the crack. He's a pretty good route runner. Might be reliable for moving the sticks. Michael Wilson's going to be featuring a lot of wide three wide receiver sets. He's somebody you can get in the final rounds too. So I'll, I'll take the crack on value with those guys. You know, Zach Ertz, pretty banged up, but Trey McBride is somebody that if you're looking for a late second tight end, you could take a crack at him, like uh, you know, maybe as a twenty-two tight end or something like that. But I, I'd probably rather rather have Mike Kosicki or Jelani Woods. All right. What about you, Justin? What's your take on these five these people that are being drafted here from the Arizona Cardinals at different spots? We didn't really talk about Kyler Murray either. Is that somebody you're interested in, Kyler Murray? At a, uh, where he's going super late, uh, give, coming off the knee, or any of these five? Who, who, what do you? What, what can you tell us about these Arizona Cardinals, Justin? Uh, so I'll tell you this. Um, I'm a big fan of James Conner, and I'm a big fan of teams, especially in redraft leagues, that just run the running back ragged. Uh, last year, one of the things that happened late in the season when Colt McCoy took over was they started to target him more often. So from the weeks, I think it was like week 11 to the end of the season, he actually averaged five targets a game which I'm looking at, and I'm like, okay, so he was getting it somewhere. He was always getting his touches in. And in a PPR league, you know, most of the time running backs, when they're getting targeted, it's, you know, a little dump off here and there. It's a high rate of success and a high rate of efficiency with those targets. So if you can pull out five points just from that, add an extra couple points from, you know, yards and carries, and then a touchdown maybe, you could have a really good, you know, game from James Conner and he could be your flex start. 
So James Conner is one of those guys that he's fallen pretty low to where he's in that range where I see him as a value. Hollywood Brown, on the other hand, just because uh, it is going to be Colt McCoy for most of the season, I am out on Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown is one of those guys that he is really dependent on his downfield work. You know, I know he's a good route runner, but here's the thing. How often is Colt McCoy going to be scanning the entire field? He's going to be looking for his options. He's going to be looking to dump it down to Connor. He's going to be looking for Trey McBride running the short route. You know, I think Rondale Moore, what Scott said, that's a perfect example of a guy who could be on the up because his value is so low. But a slot receiver, that's like a rookie and a backup QB's best friend right there. He runs short routes and he can do something with it. Um, but when you're when you're talking about Kyler Murray on this part, I want to say he's a value because he's going to like QB 20, 22 right now. He's definitely a value. But you got to make sure that you have front-loaded your team to make sure you can make it to where his value is actually valuable to you at the end. Because if you pick him and you're sitting at the bottom at like 4 and 10, guess what? You're still 4 and 10. You're still a loser. And you still got to go into next season with a big question mark of if Caleb Williams is coming in or not. So yeah. where's Kyler Murray going to be playing? Yeah, obviously I disagree with Justin respectfully on Connor based on what I said before. Uh, you know, I I can't see depending on that kind of receiving volume, especially when the team's going to be worse and defenses know after watching the offseason film. Okay, let's just stop Connor. But you know, if Justin's right. I'll say he's right. And uh, with Murray, I certainly agree because I didn't hit on that. You can get Murray in like the twelfth, thirteenth round. You're basically getting the QB one for like the stretch one run for when he comes back. Uh, so I, I, I've already done that in a few mocks in real leagues. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit less bearish or see bullish, I should say, on Murray than you guys. I just worry that a lot of his productivity, I think, is kind of dependent on his ability to kind of move around the pocket and create. And I don't see that happening coming back from the from the ACL. So I'm a little bit down on Murray even coming back, at least in the short term. I have no no problems with him long term at Dynasty, but I, I'm definitely concerned for him uh, even second half of this year. Uh, especially with what looks to be a depleted team. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I, I guess in a super flex, if I'm looking at a QB3, I, I definitely take a shot on him just to, and hope that I'm wrong there. But, uh, but for sure, yeah. And the only guy I think on that list that, uh, that really interests me at ADP, uh, I think is Rondell Moore. You hit on him earlier, Scott. So that being said, we're going to move right into the Los Angeles Rams. So we've muddled through one mess, and now we're going to take on the next one, and that is uh, a team that is in salary cap purgatory and kind of a self-inflicted draft capital hell. Um, so they added uh, Coleman Shelton, and uh, that's a center, and that checks out because uh, last time I checked, uh, the center is the only position in the NFL that pays worse than running back in terms of uh, <laughs> the average pay. So uh, they could see they're not spending money really on anyone or anything. So in the draft in round four, they got a quarterback in the form of Stetson Bennett from Georgia who feels like he's been there for, you know, long enough to get his, his doctorate. Uh, and then in the fifth round, tight end Davis Allen from Clemson, uh, sure-handed, uh, solid player, but not very quick and definitely not a separator. Round five, wide receiver Puka uh, Nakua from BYU. And then uh, running back Zach Evans from Ole Miss, running back uh, in the sixth round. So notable departures. They did lose Baker Mayfield, who came in there for a cameo at the tail end. He's now the starting quarterback in Tampa Bay. From a coaching chain standpoint, Mike LaFleur, Mike LaFleur, excuse me, the former New York Jets 
offensive coordinator, who some view as kind of a scapegoat for the failure of Zach Wilson and his development. Well, that's he's now Sean McVay's new offensive coordinator. Uh, and he previously worked as an assistant for Kyle Shanahan for a few years. So it'd be kind of interesting to see what kind of wrinkles that he can come up with for an offense that was kind of held back by one of the uh, NFL's worst offensive lines. It definitely has his work cut out for him here uh, at, at the Rams. So big question is about uh, Matt Stafford, who is kind of the engine, I guess, that to make this offense go if it's going anywhere. And Dr. David Chow, uh, who re- recently said that he still had some concerns about the long-term health of the Super Bowl 56 champion who sustained a, a spinal cord contusion that ended his 2022 season. Now, are we too high on Cooper Cup and Cam Akers given that red flag and the state, the status of that subpar offensive line? Or are we betting on the talent in both those cases of Cooper and Akers? Uh, Scott, I'll throw it to you first. I think you're betting on the talent with Cooper Cup because as long as he stays healthy, even if Stetson Bennett would to play extensively you know even a bad quarterback and i'm not saying bennett would be bad but even even an unproven a bad quarterback has to get the ball to somebody and they just don't come better than cup in a lot of regards uh so you know maybe if stafford gets hurt he's a wide receiver two in fantasy instead of a wide receiver one but it's not like he's not going to be startable i don't think that said you know all things all signs point to stafford being ready for the season but yeah, you know, I don't have him ranked higher than twenty-one at quarterback. Uh, with Cam Akers, it's really going to be about volume and playing well towards the end of last season. He's a very talented back. A lot of running backs haven't come back effectively from Achilles injuries, but when you look at a lot of those studies, none of them had had the uh, the pedigree and the talent of Cam Akers. The best recent example we have of a somewhat respectable running back coming back from an Achilles and performing well is Deontay Foreman. You look at all those other guys, people would compare him to none of them were on the level of Cam Akers talent-wise. Uh, and he looked good late last year. He's going to get a lot of volume, but there's some risk involved with these Rams players when you consider, you know, you don't know how healthy the, the quarterback is going to be, and they're going to play from behind frequently, I think, too. I do like Tyler Higby because – I think he's been overrated in the past because people look at his final numbers and consider him a top 10 tight end, but then they will be mediocre when you looked at, looked at the game logs, but he could be the number two pass catcher for that team this year. So he, he'd be a viable back end tight end one in fantasy. That said, I always try to draft top seven tight ends in this year and not roll the dice at the rest of the position. Van Jefferson can stretch the field. You wonder what the consistency will be like. And the cool is a you know, has some sleeper potential when, when you're in the final rounds. All right. So Justin, are you uh, are you with uh, Scott on this on with uh, with Cooper Cup and Cam Akers and the takes there on Higby? Uh where how do you see this uh, Rams offense shaping up here? So I am with hundred percent with Scott on Cooper Cup. You just cannot you know, that type of talent cannot be denied. Um, he is an elite level route runner, which is kind of one of those things that is coming back now where you got guys that can line up all over the field. You see it now with CD lamb. He lines up in the slot, you know, 30% of the time in a season. And you know, it, it's kind of becoming one of those guys where the top five guys are legitimately the top five at their position, best in their craft. Cam Akers is not best in his craft. He's, 
probably, in my opinion, not even top 20 in his craft. And to be honest with you, I think this offensive line has been kind of garbage for a long time. I think they were kind of hanging on by a string when they won the Super Bowl. They were able to just get that Stafford Cup connection to the next level, and they rode that to a couple of big wins. Um, Higby, love Higby, love the price on Higby now. I agree with Scott's. At one point, Higby was one of the most overrated guys in fantasy. And I think a lot of the reason is, is kind of like the Claypool effect. You have that one three to four touchdown game, and then everybody just explodes. Yeah. And everybody goes for that guy. And then next thing you know, he's a guy. And you're like, yeah. wait, how is he a guy? He's never actually had 10 touchdowns in a season. But it was because that one game where he had three touchdowns and scored like 30 or 40 points and was, oh, my God. And then all of a sudden, Tyler Higby has arrived and he's at the top 12 of our draft boards every single season. But now he's finally at that reasonable number where you're like, okay, you know, this is an offense that's going to probably run through him and Cup on the passing side. So I can totally get with Tyler Higby getting me like 70 receptions and you know, under it's going to be under a thousand yards because it always is, and then maybe like seven touchdowns. That's an acceptable number for he's being drafted right now. And the final take I want to say is I think Van Jefferson is not good. Not that he's not good as a football player, I think he's not good for fantasy. I think people need to get off of that train. He hasn't proven himself, and now we're kind of getting into that year four where it's kind of like make or break. And they went out and they got a better version of him. They got a taller version of him, Puka Naku. See, when I was doing Puka Naku, I was scouting Jaron Hall and I couldn't take my eyes off of what Puka Naku was doing on the field because they were both BYU teammates and Jaron Hall was throwing the Puka Naku. He was blowing me off the freaking, he was like, I was like, what's going on here? This guy is freaking blowing my mind over here with how fast he is, how good he is. And, he reminds me a little bit of Christian Watson in the sense that he's just got that innate jet to him to where he can take a end around and go just straight to the house. And that's, that's something that I know Sean McVay is going to want to scheme around. I can already see it ticking in Sean McVay's head, the things that he's going to do with Puka Nuku. He might not be getting the target usage that Van Jefferson does, but I guarantee you by the end of the season, he is going to be the better fantasy option. All right. Well, I, I think it's that's probably the thing that interests me in retrospect. Notice after our conversation here is something that that bears watching is how does that how does that uh, that battle shake out between those two between him and Van Jefferson. Uh, so I, I like those guys a lot more in best ball. Um, you know, as late flyers than I do in, in typical redraft leagues, but in, in deeper leagues. Uh, that's definitely that's definitely something that Bear is monitoring. So I will say this about Cam Akers is I'm kind of uh, in between you guys on him. I, I believe that he's uh, fairly talented. Uh, I do think that the line holds him back, but I think to his credit, he also was used to running behind a bad line all the way back to his days at Florida State. Uh, he was having he was getting crushed <laughs> behind that offensive line there, and he's just found a way to make yards out of nothing. And frankly, that's what he's going to have to do with the Rams. So and he, like you said, Scott, he was pretty very productive last year uh, with. No real quarterback to speak of. So um, that definitely bodes well for his opportunity. So I, I'm definitely keeping an eye on Cam Akers. Uh, I probably like him a little bit more than James Conner, and they're kind of going in the same area of the draft. I'm not really too up on either one of them, but I'm certainly not ruling out adding either one of them as a low-end running back two or a flex for sure. So in uh, Cup, as far as where I'm sitting with Cup, 
he's still so first round talent, I think, but uh, I am a little bit concerned about his injury history, about uh, more staffers, more more likely, but uh, I'm definitely not fading him out of the first. Uh, I'm, I might like Stefan Diggs a little bit more perhaps um, than, than him and definitely Tyree Kill. So, but I'm, he's still in my top five. So, all right, 49ers, you're 49ers, Justin. So notable additions. We had Sam Darnold, who today was named quarterback two. Uh, if you're, I feel really bad for your team for the, uh, the trade with the Dolphins, what they gave up a couple of first round picks and uh, 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 Tyree turned into <laughs> what Jalen Waddle, Bradley Chubb and Tyree Kill. Uh, uh, I think all of our teams have had a moment like that. It just stinks when it's fresh. So, yeah, but uh, the, the Dolphins have yet to make the playoffs since those trades, and the, you know the Niners have made some deep playoff runs. That but, is true. That is true. That said, if if a notable addition is Sam Darnold, though, that's troubling as well. <laughs> yes, that is, it, yeah. it is true. So on the defensive side of the goal, they definitely made some additions, but uh, unfortunately, we're talking more about the offense. Javon Hargrave was poached from my Philadelphia Eagles, for example, uh, and so that team is definitely very strong here. The Niners. We're going to get into that. So. They did take uh, a couple of players in round three, uh, tight end from Alabama, Cameron two, and kicker Jake Moody from Michigan, who I know uh, Rich Eisen was pretty excited about. And uh, I married into a Michigan family. I saw Jake Moody make some pretty incredible kicks. So seems early for a kicker, but he's a good one. Uh, round seven, two players there of offensive significance, Braylon, Braden Willis of Oklahoma, the tight end, and Ronnie Bell. Uh, also a Michigan Wolverine wide receiver in the seventh round. Notable departures, Jimmy Garoppolo now starting for the Las Vegas Raiders. I should say the impossibly handsome Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, and ki- coaching changes, Steve Wilkes, formerly the Carolina defensive coordinator, comes over to fill some pretty big shoes left behind by D'Amico Ryans, who's now the head coach of the Houston Texas so, Texans. So let's get to the big question here for the Niners. We mentioned Sam Donald above, who was the third uh, overall pick of the 2018 draft, uh, joining uh, Mr. Relevant from the 2022 NFL draft. So I guess we kind of figured out today how we're handicapping this room. Um, but what do you think is going to happen here down the stretch? Do you think Sam Darnold's going to get a legit shot to challenge Brock Purdy? Do you believe in Brock Purdy? Purdy is he the answer there this year? Is he going to be able to captain the uh, Niners back to the NFC Championship game? What's going to happen here with the quarterback position? And what's the uh, impact of that on the other skill position players that we care about here in fantasy? We'll go ahead with you, Scott. Uh, is it? We, okay. we we're not letting the Niner fan go first. <laughs> All right, we'll let the Niner fan go first. <laughs> yeah, it just wouldn't feel right with a Seahawk fan going on a Niners topic. I don't, I don't hate the Niners. Don't do that. <laughs> I know. I'll just give Scotty some. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here as an analyst, not a fan. So I got to be objective. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, I'm here as an analyst, too. I'm here as a fan analyst. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan and an analyst at the same time. So I will talk as much junk as I want to. Um, but anyways, I, I will say this. I think Brock Purdy is a talented player. I think he has a great mind for the position. You know, he scored well on the S2 right up there with Patrick Mahomes. You saw it last year. I, I was just telling my buddy the other day, I – didn't feel uncomfortable for the first time as a 49ers fan in a long time with my quarterback going on the field because I had the confidence my quarterback was going to get it done. Every time Jimmy Garoppolo was on the field, I felt uncomfortable because you know he was just one decision away from fucking the entire game up. 
And that was that was one of my biggest worries is, you know, is this guy going to be the same way? He would come out. He would make the smart decisions. You would see him read the field, which is, you know, something everybody should have as a quarterback who can actually read the entire field. Good luck, Las Vegas. Um, but <laughs> as far as if we're going to see Sam Darnold on the field, you know, with San Francisco, you never say never because they've had quarterback problems for it seems like the entire regime of Kyle Shanahan. I mean, it seems like a quarterback goes down every single year. It's a terrible curse, and but it's it's been happening. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo missed the year before he went to the Super Bowl, then he missed the year after it. Um, you know, last year we went through three quarterbacks. It's just it's just something that's plagued us for a long time. It's just having these bad luck injuries with the quarterback position. You just kind of hope now with Christian McCaffrey back there, Debo Samuel is still really good. Brandon Ayuk is becoming elite in his route running. And then, you know, George Kittle, the madman, is always back there ready to catch a pass and run over somebody. So you kind of just hope that that combo is enough to, you know, get this guy to have a quick trigger, get it out, and let his boys do the rest. Um, but, uh yeah, I mean, this is this is an exciting yet very frustrating time to be a 49er fan because, you know, Trey Lance, I think, got the uh, the S end of the stick. Yeah. All right, Scott, what's your take here on uh, the, on Brock Purdy, the quarterback situation, and the impact on the offensive weapons there in San Fran? Yeah, no doubt the run to, you know, deep in the playoffs was, was too, too deep in the playoffs was certainly impressive, and he was poised made good sound decisions and you know that's a good system and a good offense to pop a quarterback in and just let him be sort of a point guard and not let him carry things that said you know Brock Purdy's not going to sneak up on anybody this year and to be the starting quarterback from the outset of the season and the teams of especially in your division have watched fil- more film on you during the offseason I think it's going to be tougher for him to repeat what he did last year. I don't think, I'm not saying he can't. I just, to me, it was a shorter sample size. And for those of you who go back like you, Drew, you know, we got to make sure he's not another Billy Volek. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we have, we could have a great run, but, you know, he's still got a lot to prove, I think. You know, if Darnold gets a chance, to me, Darnold, just the decision making, it, it's always been like, like with Darnold, he tries to make a throw that he believes with his talent that he could make, and he just makes the wrong read or the wrong the wrong throw, and it leads to mistakes. So, you know, I'm kind of concerned about the situation from an overall NFL perspective. I feel like the Niners have the best team in the NFL outside of the quarterback position, but when they get deep into the playoffs, I don't think they have a quarterback on their roster that can truly take them to the Super Bowl. Fantasy-wise, Debo Samuel will run less probably, still be a very good yardage after the catch wide receiver. He's probably the best in the league. Brandon Ayuk is on the come, going to build on his breakthrough year. Great receiver as a top 25 fantasy pick. Kittle plays very well with Purdy. Seven of his 11 touchdown passes came with Purdy last year. McCaffrey's McCaffrey. I'm not buying it. It's okay. We're going to see a ton of Elijah Mitchell. It's Christian McCaffrey. He's the number one running back in fantasy football. And when you draft defenses, 
a lot of people make the mistake of just drafting based on where they're ranked. We stream defenses all year long. Look at the week one and two matchups. Not only are the Niners a top-ranked fantasy defense, they got good early season matchups. So they're going to be the first defense off the board in just about every draft. Love it. What a great breakdown by both you guys on the, the San Francisco 49ers uh, who are hoping to scratch and claw their way back to the NFC Championship game this year. So uh, I'm I'm rooting for Brock Purdy. Such a cool story. Just not when he plays at my Philadelphia Eagles, but uh, he's a, a likable kid. Uh, but, yeah, definitely, Scott, like you said, uh, now that there's tape on him, this is where the real test uh, comes for Brock Purdy. So we'll see what happens yeah. in 2023. So Seattle Seahawks, notable additions. Center Evan Brown upgrades the uh, interior offensive line. Uh, not a whole lot of significant free agent skill position signings, though. Of course, wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State taken in the first round, um, most widely, reg- widely regarded as the number one receiver in this draft. And then from uh, UCLA, by, uh, by way of Michigan, or Michigan by way of UCLA, I should say, Zach Charbonnet, the running back in round two. And then Kenny McIntosh from Georgia, uh, pass catcher uh, specialist, pass catching specialist in round seven. So no real departures offensively for the Seahawks of significance. Um, but uh, continuity kind of matters, I guess, in a way. So that could be a mistake, I think, to suggest this team was a flash in the pan last season. They get a lot of players back. They they added some talent, on, uh, in, especially in the skill position perspective. Uh, and speaking continuity, the Seahawks will enjoy that on both sides of the ball. They're the only team in the division that bring back their head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator. So those schemes will be largely unchanged. I don't think it's one thing that is different though is the quarterbacks coach uh, who gave a lot of got a, gave a lot of gets a lot of the credit, I should say, for Geno Smith's renaissance. And Dave Canales has gone to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where he tries to repeat that task with Baker Mayfield. So the big question is the significant draft capital that was spent on two newcomers, uh, Smith and Jigba in the first round and Charbonnet in the second. So uh, what kind of role can we expect for JSN and Charbonnet this year? Uh, and what's going to be the impact on the incumbents like uh, Metcalf, Lockett, and Kenneth Walker the third, Scotty? Well, first off, just to mention some other uh, additions on the defensive side of the ball because Pete Carroll and – and John Schneider really wanted to focus on improving the defense for Clint Hurt and making mm-hmm. it more aggressive. Draymond Jones signed as a lineman from the Denver Broncos. Jaron Reed comes back to Seattle. Devin Bush at line linebacker. Julian Love, very good secondary hybrid player, and bringing Bobby Wagner back from the Rams. <laughs> you know that that's huge, and obviously a top IDP linebacker, but. Uh, last year, the Seahawks were 20th in the league in third down conversion percentage, and that's exactly why they drafted those two kids. Because Jackson Smith and the Jigba is going to be that third down, catch the ball, get yardage after the catch, uh, yardage after reception yardage. You know, that's going to be his role. Charbonnet is the ideal complement to Kenneth Walker, who can score from anywhere on the field, improves as an inside runner, but. Charbonnet is uh, has a contrasting style. He battles hard for tough yards. He'll get short yardage. He may get some goal line opportunities to catch balls out of the backfield. If injuries strike, McIntosh has a similar skill set, and they really like him. Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and I'm not saying this because I'm a Seahawks fan, but you know this is the truth. Okay, 
I give credit to the Niners, best defense in the NFL. The Seahawks will have the best wide receiving trio in the NFL when Jackson Smith Dejeba is back from his wrist injury. Do not at me at scottythekingcom on <laughs> Scotty the King on Twitter and tell me that Tyler Boyd is going to be a better third receiver than Jackson Smith the Jigba can be. You know, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, obviously a great combo. Uh, but that's 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 the best wide receiving trio in the NFL. As much as I like Jackson Smith the Jigba, though, any fantasy analyst who says, including my good friend Frank Imbarante at thegameday.com, that Smith the Jigba is so good that he's going to surpass Tyler Lockett as the number two wide receiver, I think they're woofing up the wrong tree there. He might be the best number three wide receiver in the NFL for fantasy purposes, but Lockett's not going nowhere. Last five years, the only receiver in the NFL with 1,000-plus yards and eight-plus touchdowns. He's 31. 31 is not the end of the line for a wide receiver. The late, great Mike Tagliari of Fantasy Pros used to do studies on decline ages for all positions. A lot of people just see 30 and figure that guy's going to fall off. It's not true at every position. That's the running back number. Mike used to discover that a lot of wide receivers fall off at 33. And very often the bigger guys small, fall off quicker than the smaller guys. Jack Tyler Lockett's still going to be that number two wide receiver for Seattle. That said, the arrival of Smith Jigba when he returns from that wrist injury is going to cut into the fantasy production of Metcalf and Lockett to the point where Metcalf is a mid-range fantasy wide receiver two and Lockett is more of a fantasy wide receiver three. All right. That's the, that's the, uh, the take that we were looking for there. Uh, that, and I love it. I love the, the breakdown there. I, I agree with you on Tyler Lockett. He's, I can't think of another player in fantasy who's just disrespected so much year in and year out. People just kind of take for granted his production, overlook it, and it seems like he beats ADP every year. So, Justin, what do you want to add on the Seahawks here? Oh, yeah. So, uh, anybody who knows me at all, you know, I'm sure there's like two people out there, knows that I avidly hate Russell Wilson. But (laughs) saying that, Seattle is a – is next to the Eagles one of the best drafting teams period because they have no problem taking the BPA, the best player available. When you leave Jackson Smith and Jigba to Seattle, Devin Witherspoon going to Seattle. I mean, come on now, come on now. And, and let's face it. Seattle was known for the Legion of boom. And now they're getting their Legion of boom together. Cause they got Reek Woolen over there. They got Devin Witherspoon, two guys that can shut down any wide receiver. And then, you know, on the other side, Jackson Smith and Jigba, they're already, you know, talking out of Seattle camp. I don't know if this is necessarily all true, which you've heard, Scotty, but I've heard that Jackson Smith and Jigba, when he was on the field, was the best wide receiver, period. Well, and that was, you know, he, he, he had a great camp. Uh, you know, it's, it's, he, there was such a heavy focus on him. We already know what we get from Metcalf and Lockett. So that was a significant buzz. To, to to use a comparison, another very underrated Seahawk receiver from the past, Jackson Smith the Jigba reminds me of Doug Baldwin with extra gears. Mm. Oh, that's oh, yeah. a good thing. That's yeah. a really good thing. I mean, if he, if he could be as tough as Doug Baldwin and combine it with that skill set, 
God, you guys got a gold mine there because I remember Doug Baldwin, he would tear us up and it was just, it was, it was terrible because it felt like I was playing Debo Samuel, you know what I mean? But Seattle's version of Debo Samuel was Doug Baldwin is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, for me, I look at, I look at this year for redraft. A lot of people are going to look at that four week um, block where he's not going to be there and they're going to drop him. And I say, just go for it. Because guess yeah. what? When he comes back after two to three weeks, you're going to be sitting there going, well, guess what? I just got one of the best receiving options, period, on the cheap. So if you can get him as a wide receiver, three, four, go ahead and take him. Because I don't think Lockett is going to miss out on the deep end. But as a slot receiver, I guarantee you Gino's going to pepper him a lot during the season. And I guarantee you he's going to have that back-end ascension that we see from rookies all the time at the receiver position. It always takes them a little bit longer at the receiver position than it does at the running back position to come on. We saw it last year with Christian Watson. We've seen it numerous times in the past where guys come on strong late because they're finally given the chance by their team. I think Jackson Smith Jigba is an excellent buy this year. Even Zach Charbonnet. You know, his his price is a little bit high for me, but I can see a pathway for him, especially early on. You know, those first three weeks or so, two, three weeks where there is no Jigba, he could be that next man up in the passing option because we, we know that the tight end is never a thing in Seattle. It, it just hasn't been a thing. Even when Jimmy Graham was there, it really wasn't a thing. Well, the, so, thing, the thing is they use three tight ends, so none of them is going to be outstanding fantasy. You know, they're going to use Disley, they're going to use Fant, they're going to use Parkinson. And I think it's going to be a 60-40 split at running back. I'm just estimating when Walker is healthy, but if Walker misses any time, Charbonnet can be a fantasy high-end running back number two. And look at Geno, too. Quarterback five in fantasy last year. And now, again, best receiving trio in the NFL when uh you know when Smith and Jigba returns, if you're gonna wait on quarterback, you don't get one of the top three or the top seven. You know Geno can be a pretty good starter. Yeah, I have Geno actually above Kirk Cousins in my ranking, so I, I like Geno a lot. You we just talked about it, uh, Smith and Jigba. You, you gave him a shiny new toy, and then of course Charbonnet and McIntosh, who is gonna make the team and could have, could have like a sneaky role. Um, you have a couple pass catching backs he didn't have last year too. So I, I'm really bullish on, I don't think Gino was a fluke at all. And I'm excited for uh, what the season holds for the Seattle Seahawks and Gino Smith. So let's move on now to all, all target and all fade teams. And that's where we break down the division, look for players that we can't get enough of at their current ADP. And then on conversely, who we're looking to fade at ADP and let our league mates draft instead. So Scott, I'll start with you. Who from this division can we not get enough of at their current ADP from the quarterback position? I say we can't get enough of all the Seahawks and fade all the Niners. How's that? Um, <laughs> um, there it is. I love there we it, go. Scotty. Okay. <laughs> quarterback, uh, I guess I would say I can't get enough of Geno uh, because of the reasons that we just discussed. At running back, I would say – Based on the volume that he's going to get, I would, I would go with Cam Akers at wide receiver. Uh, the I, I I love where Brandon Ayuk is going for value. Terrific, I think. Uh, he's being drafted as top twenty-five. You can finish his top fifteen. 
if he continues to build on what he did last year. Uh, and tight end, I would probably say Tyler Higby for the reasons that I uh, that I gave before. Qu- quarterback, you know, it's really in that division. It's Geno Smith, maybe Brock Purdy, and everybody else. And, you know, so Stafford stays healthy, he can still sling it. But I would say I'm probably going to fade Purdy for the reasons that I've said before, even though you only draft him as like the 24th to 25th quarterback off the board. But still, I think I think he has a lot to prove. Running back, like I said, definitely fading James Conner for sure. I just, I, I don't, I, I gave the reasons why before, so I'm not going to hammer them. Uh Wide wide receiver, I'm probably going to go Marquise Brown because there's a real quarterback situation issue there until Murray comes back. And I think he's a better NFL number two wide receiver than than a number one one wide receiver. And tight end, it's really, you like Higby, I'm not going to fade Kittle. You know, it's hard to find a fade tight end in, in in this division, but I guess I would say Zach Ertz. Because I feel like Trey McBride's going to be on the come, if anything. All right. Justin, what's your take? Uh, anybody you want to highlight on as a, either as a target or a fade? Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll say this. Um, I'll just throw out a couple quick ones. Um, for my targets, I am definitely targeting Geno at the quarterback. Um, at, the re- at the receiver, I'll all day long, Brandon Ayuk. Mark it here. He will be a top 12 wide receiver in fantasy this year. And you're getting him at wide receiver three prices. Lock it in. This dude is the real deal. He is going to be taking over this year. On the other end, I am fading Debo Samuel. His usage was much better when he was the entire offense. Ever since then, he has been overdrafted, overhyped, and overrated. So I am completely off on the Debo train. I think their 49ers will be trading him this offseason and or finding some way to get rid of his contract to make sure the real deal, Brandon Ayuk, stays there. And as far as fading, I will actually throw this out there. I will fade George Kittle because his price baked in always kind of is a little sketchy because he always seems to find a way to miss games in a season. And he alternates. He has a great year, then he has a slump year. He has a great year, he has a slump year. He had a great year last year. I can only follow the trends and think he's going to have a slump year this year. And then I actually, um, you know, Scott, I'll agree with you on this one. Brock Purdy might be a fade on my end. It's not because he's a bad quarterback. It's not because he's not going to lead the 49ers to the Super Bowl this year. It's because he has not got the mobility of a Geno Smith. And he doesn't have, um, you know, he just doesn't, he has more of a game management mentality to him than anything else. He's got a lot of weapons around him and a lot of guys who can poach touchdowns, you know, Debo from the rushing end and Christian McCaffrey from the rushing end. This offense, kind of like you said, caters to him like a point guard. So sometimes point guards don't score the highest points on the team. And assists don't count in, in football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, I'll throw a couple of things out there, too. I think my, from a target perspective, if I had to do one, I'm going to echo the love for Brandon Ayuk and Gino at those spots. 
Um, I think Akers is a good choice there as well. And I think Connor is somebody that I guess I could, if he, if he sticks around a little bit, um, I, I could see myself targeting him just because he's going to get some passing volume. Um, somebody has to do something with the football in Arizona. And uh, frankly, there's not a whole, whole lot more there <laughs> except for James Conner. So it'll be ugly, but he should get points. So I think Zach Charbonne is another one to – Charbonne is a one to watch there as well. Um, he's, he's another one to, to keep an eye on as well in case. I think he's going a little bit later than – actually a lot later than, uh, than KW3. Uh, and he definitely his talents are definitely not in question at all. And Scott, you mentioned before the inefficiency on third down. Uh, Kenneth Walker struggled with that, particularly last year. I could see Zach Charbonneau, uh, Charbonneau being uh, much better in that area for a, a, an offense that's going to be just as prolific as it was last year. So um, from the tight end position, Higby, we said uh, maybe McBride in deeper league because I don't believe this. And Zach Ertz, uh, you know, really coming back from that ACL and being much of anything this year. So I think I think it's likely that McBride outperforms ADP uh, in deep leagues. And then for the fade side, um, we talked about Ertz. Uh, Hollywood Brown, we talked about the start of the show. Uh, I'm not in on him this year at all. He's got some nagging, I think, injuries. I don't know that he's 100% yet. At, at the quarterback spot, uh, Kyler Murray, uh, we talked. I talked about him before too. So with Hopkins gone this year, with Brown kind of still not really quite back to himself, uh, with that team just being an absolute mess and being reliant on the mobility, I just I just can't see myself taking a shot on Kyler Murray even as a quarterback too, unless I'm re- unless I'm really really desperate. So um, moving on then to our next section, our our seg- next segment, and that is the two minute drill. Uh, which is where we take a look at over/under season win totals. This is courtesy of FanDuel. So, for Arizona Cardinals, at last check, it was four and a half. So, uh, Scott, I'll start with you. Are you going over or under on four and a half for the Cardinals this year? I am uncomfortably going over because I do believe that Kyla Murray can come back at some point and they can win five games. All right. What about you, Justin? I agree with Scott on that one. I think they can win five games, so I'm going to go with the over on that one. Well, I'm going to go against both of you guys. I'm going to take the under, and I know that's that's bold for a line that's this low, but that's that's how little I think of this this team. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in Kyler coming back and doing anything that we said. I don't have confidence in the head coach and Jonathan Gannon. Uh, I just. I, I see this team as being potentially finishing the year. Most likely, if you ask me who's going to finish the team as the worst with the worst record in football, I would pick the Arizona Cardinals. And I think if they win uh, f- uh, more than four and a half games, it'll be an accomplishment. So I like the under on four and a half. And I know that sounds pretty pretty gross and bold. But here we are. Scott, Los Angeles he Rams. believe in an Eagles guy. You believe that guy? He doesn't believe in an <laughs> Eagles guy. <laughs> He's not an Eagles guy anymore, so the championship drought will continue for the Cardinals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, um, Jeffrey, I don't think Jeffrey Lurie really wanted, to, really wanted him getting on that plane. So, uh, you know, enjoy Arizona. Have, have fun with him. So, <laughs> the Rams, six and a half. Are you going over or under, Scott? I'm begrudgingly going over on this, too. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to go under here because I'm going to say they're going to win about six games. This team is a shell of what it used to be. You know, they paid the freight to win the Super Bowl, and uh, we can't count on Stafford staying healthy either. So I'm going I'm to say they win six games and take the under. All right, Justin. Yeah, um, so 
I'll agree with Scott on this. Sean McVay sold his soul to win a Super Bowl, and he won it, and now he is in purgatory because his team is trash, and he can't seem to get out of it. Um, I'll say this. I think the Rams can at least win seven or eight games. You know, this team might be a shell of what it was in the Super Bowl years, but that shell is still pretty strong. I mean, you still got Stafford. You still got Cup. That itself can will you to a couple games. And then, you know, the defense, while it's not what it once was, you know, every time you have Aaron Donald on there, you have a chance. It's kind of like having Cameron Jordan in New Orleans. You have a chance. Um, So, yeah, I, I think this team can win eight games. Um, and they'll win two games right off the bat with Arizona anyway. So I'm going to go with uh, over on this one. I would guarantee the Arizona win, actually, because divisional games, that's where bad teams can rise up and actually steal a victory. I was just going to say the same thing, and I don't know. I think I can see one game, one win. Yeah. Yeah. In a a divisional game, anybody could beat anybody at any time. True. That's very true. That's very true. Almost any time. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and for that reason, Browns yeah. teams that have beaten the Ravens. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna go under. Uh, I'm I'm joining the the crowd here on this one. So uh, I just get, I look at the Rams, and we already talked about the fact that they're kind of paying the piper for uh, you know some of the you know trade away draft capital and everything else that they've done. But I, I look at this team, and I see I see more things that could go wrong uh, than go right, and I just I I just I'm not. I'm not optimistic when I'm looking at this squad. I think seven wins, eight wins. I think that's that would be a, a huge success story for Sean McVay if he's able to get that from this squad. So I, I'm not. I don't think they're as bad as Arizona, but they are are definitely uh, not a good football team. And I, I think they win six games, maybe even five. Uh, what about the San Francisco 49ers? Ten and a half, Scott. Are you over or under on ten and a half for San Francisco? I'm under, man, Justin. They're going to win half that many games. No, uh, <laughs> uh, actually, you got to go over. I mean, that's a really good team. This, 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 this under is an insult. You know that 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 team doesn't win less than eleven games. Outside again, outside of the quarterback, it's the best team in the league. All right, Justin. If I'm a bet man, I'm putting my money on the over. 17 and 0, baby. 2 and 0 again, Scott. 2 and 0 again. <laughs> Are they redoing the schedule for them to play Arizona 17 times? <laughs> yeah. That'll, 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 that'll be do the it. gift that keeps on giving now, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget what we said it before about divisional games. I, I, I think the 49ers sweep the, the Arizona Cardinals pretty handily there. I'm also going over. Uh, you have four games against the Cardinals, four games against the Rams. I think I agree with you. Ten and a half, I think, is an insulting number. I think they win at least 12 games this year. Uh, Seattle, eight and a half. Scott, what do you think about that? That's more insulting. This is a better team than last year, and they won nine games last year. So, you know, this is the easiest over in the division, I think. I think they win a minimum of 10 games, probably 11. Uh, the, The offense is deeper. The defense will be more aggressive. The key will be, you know, and with Wagner back, that does look positive. Can the run defense be better? You know, that that's a big key for them, I think. Um, and actually, Jamal Adams coming off the pup this week, you know, that that's big news. You know, if Jamal Adams can stay healthy, they're going to have a great secondary because now you got now you have you have Diggs, Love, and and um, 
and Jamal Adams all capable of playing safety with a lot of base nickel. And then you got Tariq Woolen, Devin Witherspoon, Michael Jackson, Trey Brown. That's a that's a very deep secondary. It's just I worry a little bit about the you know the interior of the defensive line, but you know, that's not enough to me to say okay, you know, un- under eight wins. I mean, that that's that's an insult. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with you there. What do you think there, Justin? I think they're right around eight. <laughs> no. That's more than I expected him to say. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's being kind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm funny, but I'm not that crazy. Um, I, I'll tell you what. This has got to be an 11 win team here, maybe even 12. I hate to say it, but this is the team that could dethrone the 49ers for the NFC West title. It's just they've got a lot going for them right now, and they've got a lot invested in some young players. So. This is, like Scott said, this is the easiest bet you can play right now. Go pick them over eight and a half. And tease that out. I would, I, for sure. I, I love that. Um, I, I'm, in, I'm in agreement with both of you. I think they win. I think 10 and a half, the, seat, the San Fran line, is what this line should be. Uh, so, I, I, and I think both of those teams hit over for sure. So I, I, think, uh, ten, I think 10 would be a fair line. 10? Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. So four downs with our guest. So uh, Scott, we'll uh, we'll turn to you here for these. So when when did you start with fantasy football? I know you're an OG in the space, and who do you remember some of the stars on your very first squad? Oh boy, we're gonna go back a little here. My first fantasy football team was an IDP league at a sports sporting goods store, and I won the championship in my very first year playing. Nice. Uh, what happened was is when we had the draft, I was away on vacation. I was very angry to find out they, I came back from vacation that they had done the draft without me. So one of the guys brought me in as his co-owner, and I helped him draft his team because they did the sign-ups while I was away on vacation. And I helped him draft his team. But then three weeks in, somebody else wanted to quit. So I gave him his league fee, took over that team, made trades with my old, old team, and ends up at beating my old team in the Super Bowl. And you know, some of my top players were I traded Troy Aikman against Steve Young, which uh, Justin likes. Uh, I picked up Chris <laughs> Warren and Terrence Mathis off of waivers. I had Chris Carter, and on the IDP side, I had like Ronnie Lott, Ed McDaniel, Greg Lloyd. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, I didn't even get my first ADP uh, IDP league for a very, very long time. That, that's pretty cool that you, that you were doing IDP uh, back in those in those. Right out of the gate, it was the first one I ever played in, and we were that's keeping amazing. stats out of the newspaper. I'm riding on the subway, you know, we're taking notes out of USA Today while trying to wait, keep my eyeballs up for my stop. That's right. That's right. How long have you produced fantasy football content? I know you've been at this for a while, like you said. And how did you get your start? 1997. Uh, Sportsline USA before it was CBS Sportsline before mm-hmm. it was CBSSports.com I was the first full-time fantasy writer at the site and uh, started doing it there I was working part-time and part-time in the sports wagering department and eventually they moved me into full-time in fantasy and I was I was the first full-time content guy ever at Sportsline USA which is today CBSSports.com Mm-hmm. All right. So any passion projects or charities of choice that you want to talk about or promote, Scott? Yeah, we're doing the Pros vs. Joes uh, 
charity fantasy football challenge right now. And if you go on my Twitter, it's Scott E. The King. You can actually uh, share a team with me for charity. Benefiting Big League Impact, a charity started by Adam Wainwright and other major and includes other major leaguers to help great many great causes. So check it out at bigleagueimpact.org. That's fantastic. Thanks for that. And uh, I know you're also producing content. You mentioned uh, some of the many places that you're doing that. Uh, go ahead and give us that rundown again and let us know where people can follow you and check out your work. Yeah, check out my fantasy and, and sports betting content at thegameday.com. Also, uh, my fantasy football rankings at rotoballer.com. Uh, since 2012, I like to tell people I was drafted the same year as Bobby Wagner. I've been uh, the fantasy writer for the official side of the Seahawks at Seahawks.com. And you can also catch me on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio on the weekends. Uh, I'm proud to say I've been with the, the channel since uh, the very beginning. Awesome. All right. And Justin, talk to us about uh, where people could follow you and what you're into. Uh, yeah, so you can follow me at SemtexMex93. It's the most useless tag in all of Twitter because it has no reference to fantasy football whatsoever. <laughs> but that was my gamer tag at one point, so I stick with it. Um, but you can catch me every single uh, weeknight except for Wednesday on TSS Fantasy. I do uh, TSS Fantasy um, Dynasty Hour as well. And it's just, I'm stoked, you know, we'll be podcasting six nights a week. I am stoked to be getting into the season. If you want to catch my writings, I'm a DFS writer at Rotoviz, and I do some uh, off and on things for goingfor2.com as well, as well as doing QB list previews and game recaps. This is, it's been a pleasure, Scott, to, to podcast with you again. And Drew, it's always a pleasure to talk ball with you. I, I don't know yeah. about you guys, but I'm so damn stoked. I'm getting into three redraft leagues, big money redraft leagues, and I just can't wait to get drafting again. Yeah, th- thanks for having me. It's a ple- it's a pleasure to do this with you guys. And I, I wonder if Justin is a, is like a heavy metal guy because that's that's a word they use in heavy metal. Yeah, man, I'm stoked, dude. Judas <laughs> Priest tonight. <laughs> How'd you know? How'd you know? Because <laughs> you said stoke. If you call me a poser, I just said, you know, it's, yeah. I'm also from California, so stoked is like born into my vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. That is, that's fair. That's very Far fair. Out, yeah. Far out. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was born from a, from a night at the Whiskey A Go Go. <laughs> Fillmore West, too, right? All right, so that'll do it for the NFC West today. Stay tuned for the next episode in our Division Preview Series. Actually, you know what? Scratch that. This is the last episode of Division Preview Series. It's been an absolute blast doing this uh, with all of the wonderful guests we've had, uh, like Justin and Scotty, the King Angle tonight. Uh, So I'm so excited to be able to do this for QB List. So uh, until then, um, for our next podcast, you'll you'll be uh, able to find us on that site formerly known as Twitter. So stay tuned for our sit start and what we saw series on QBList.com. Also check, check us out on Reddit at the fantasy football subreddit. Once the season starts, uh, the AMA we had with them uh, was awesome. And we're excited to, to go back and do more content with them this season. So as always, we're also available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening.